comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is off because he is a part-time elf, and he is working in the Santa's Returns department today. So, for a solo bonus episode, we are going to talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and joining us to talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a writer for Things You Know About the Movies, Movie Smackdown, and username FincherFanForever71000, Adam Gentry. Hey, what's up, dudes? And writer for a blog that does not exist yet, and everyone's favorite Mr. DVD, Alan Aguilera. Hello. I love that title. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You threw threw a curveball at me. I am a writer for a blog that does not exist. Thank you. No problem. Out Now is a film podcast, which has usually Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a retro review that has to do with the main review of the week, games and other fun stuff. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, minus Abe, unfortunately, but we have our guests and a very, very special guest coming in when we actually get to the review. But... Until that time, we're going to do most of our regular stuff. This is a, a bonus holiday episode because it's all we all still have really chaotic, hectic schedules, but there are still plenty of movies coming out. So we will do what we can to get you some shows about the recent movies that came out. And why not talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? And actually, to emphasize something, along with talking about Dragon Tattoo, we're actually going to go into spoilers with it. So we're going to kind of do a good... Uh, do a good what we think about the movie to start, and then we're going to kind of delve into spoilers, which is something I we thought generally you were going to say we're all going to get tattoos on this episode. I'm like, whoa, dude. Whoa, whoa. Some of us are Jewish here, but if Alan wants to get a tattoo to go with his many other Mexican tattoos, that's fine. They're not Mexican tattoos. <laughs> but yeah, I don't so have, like the bridge in the Guadalupe on my chest, but <laughs> yet so far, yeah, not yet. So yeah, we are we're gonna we're gonna delve into spoilers later on in the episode for Dragon Tattoo. So um, you know, if you haven't seen it. I'll obviously give a warning before we kind of start going in there, but, you know, just be aware that that's actually part of the plan this time around. So, with that out of the way, let's do a little Know Everybody, where each week we kind of ask each other some questions to kind of help set the tone for the podcast. I will start. Alan, most efficient team, Sherlock and Watson, Elizabeth and Mikhail, or the IMF team from Mission Impossible? Ooh. Every time, okay, well, let, let, let me think out loud for a moment. IMF, every time they try to do something, everything goes wrong. I don't find that very efficient. No, I wouldn't say so. Like, that's not efficient. Like, they get the job done, but not in the easiest way possible. Um, Sherlock, they're, they're, Sherlock and Watson, they're a little outside the box, but they still get the job done. They, they are efficient in Sherlock Holmes' autistic kind of ways. And I only have the experience with the uh, Lisbeth. And Mikhail, so I don't know. I'm probably gonna have to go with Sherlock and Watson. All right. Plus, I mean, IMS almost always getting killed. I mean, fine. I mean Emilio Estevez has only lasted like six minutes in the movie. <laughs> he wasn't even credited in that movie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and how efficient can you be if John Voight is your head man? <laughs> You're not gonna he get did, anything done. He did father one fine woman, I will say. Yeah, he was a real midnight cowboy. 
Oh, oh. oh. Yeah, that was bad. You went there. Yeah. There's also an anaconda. Abe's probably going to leave that out. Oh, we know he's an anaconda because of a special show that I did involving anaconda. But that's besides the point. Alan, why don't you ask your question? All right. Adam, yes. out of all of David Fincher's films, which would be the one movie that you would not want to take on a first date? Oh, gosh. Right? Think, 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 think. Uh, it would have to be seven. Although Zodiac is, is cool. I mean seven though, I mean you got you got hot Brad Pitt in that movie. Hot Brad Pitt. He's like he's ninety five Brad Pitt for, like if I'm gonna go for hot Brad Pitt Fincher movie to take a first date to, like you could pull off Fight Club. You could get cool points for Fight Club. But no, I would have to say when it comes to Fincher film not to take a date to it would be seven. It's just so relentlessly dark and I think it's fantastic. You know, yeah. it's but you said, you're saying Zodiac would be a fine date film? Well, I'm saying if I had more to so pick, than seven, I think I would agree with Adam on that one. Just because you know seven is so it's just it's relentless. And when you get to the end of that film, it's just it's so utterly actually yeah. Given it's the so end, utterly given... unsettling with with the Zodiac, like it's creepy. But you might get her holding your hand like during the movie because she's creeped out. Seven, right. she's just gonna be sitting there with her head in her hand, just like wondering what psycho took her to this movie. And my question is a little bit. It shares some similarity to, to, to Alan, so I'm going to send it right back to you, man. All right. Seven or Fight Club, and why? Fight Club. Mostly uh, because that is my legit favorite movie. My top three movies are Fight Club, Save Heart Ryan, and Seven, because that's just how I roll. But I would say Fight Club mostly because I love Seven. I love the way it's built. I love that it's a crime film, and I love that movie for a lot of reasons. But when I watched Fight Club, I was at the right age where I, I was always into action films and like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, those kind of comedies. And then when I saw Fight Club, when I saw it in the theater, I saw that movies could do more than just that specific genre because I couldn't really place Fight Club in any genre. And I thought that the 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 way it was built, the way it was edited, the way it was shot, the way that everything kind of fit together, to me, it's almost a perfect movie for me because it could fit in so many different angles. Because I also see Fight Club as a, romant- or a romantic film. Because at the end, it's about a guy trying to find himself until he's ready to get into a relationship with Marla Singer. And I just think that there's so much going on with Fight Club that I would absolutely watch that movie over and over again, more so than Seven. All right, Aaron. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite Christmas movie? Not necessarily a favorite movie during Christmas. It doesn't necessarily have to be about Christmas and Santa, but a movie that takes place during Christmas. Uh, two answers for that. One is A Christmas Story. Um, I watch that movie every year and many times because it's on TBS every year, many times. But I no, I love that movie unabashedly, and I can watch other Christmas movies and be like, yeah, cool, I saw that movie and I like it a lot. But Christmas Story seems like the movie that I have to watch at some point during that whole time. And Die Hard. Oh yay! So you must have yes. Yeah, I, I got into an epic like Facebook debate about Die Hard being a Christmas movie the other day, actually, is, too, which is like, it is the Christmas it's like, movie. it's so obvious it is, like, it, not, like, let alone the fact that it has a sequel that's also a Christmas movie, so. It's, it's um, not a Christmas movie, it is the. It's, it's, yeah, it's all, it's the Christmas movie. Well, yeah, it's all about the Christmas miracle. The and, fact that he was able to take out all those men not wearing shoes, it's like another Jesus. Yeah. And you have, you know, there's a plenty of qualifiers as well, Elf, Gremlins, Mm-hmm. Uh, lethal Weapon, which falls into the Die Hard category. Um, girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> that, that is a good Christmas movie. Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, there's, there's Die Hard Star- 5, Mangers, you know, Extreme Mangering. Oh, it already has a name. What was the name? Do you remember, Alan? Um, which one? Die Hard 5. What's the title? Oh, oh like it, Master Die Harder or something like that? No, oh, it had something hilarious. A Good Day to Die Hard. 
Oh, it's something like that. Yeah. A good day to die hard. Because the there's some. Yeah, that's for real. The title for the next die hard. They're doing this. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For realsies, bro. Oh, no. Home shizzle. <laughs> and and because there was like this amazing Tumblr that like listed all these hilarious like like Twitter titles that people came up with that were like worse than Die Hard Five. Yeah. Oh God. And he hard. battles Russians and it involves John McClane's son. <laughs> so it's like Indiana Jones. Yeah. 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 The Kane of the Crystal Skull. Adam, given that the Millennium series, which is the first part is the girl with the dragon tutu. Given that the Millennium series is a franchise that Fincher's set to direct, what other Fincher film would you like to see a sequel to, or would you put? Would you associate? Would you, would you give a sequel to? Well, given you know all the potential for continuation of the story, I'd have to say Curious Case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> okay, that's a good question. Oh um, my god, there's an obvious seven joke. Well, yeah, eight. <laughs> You know, I, to be honest with you, it, it's not that I would really like to see a sequel to it, but this is the, Finch, the one Fincher film that I, I was sitting there watching it and really, I didn't, I really didn't want it to end, um, and that was Social Network. I, I can't say I really want to see a straight-up sequel to it, but I remember sitting there watching the film, realizing it was about to end, and thinking, no, wait a minute, I'll set your brother half an hour, let's just keep going, what more do you have? Because um, I can't think of any of his films in particular that really lend themselves well to sequelizing, except for, you know... Alien, just because it's a franchise. And yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't really, I mean. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, that's the only film of his that I really just recall thinking, you know, wow, let's just keep going. I mean, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I can see that. I would, there was nothing that would make me happier than seeing another Aaron Sorkin script and another David Fincher directed. And, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not the hugest Social Network fan. I mean, I really like the film. It's, it's really solid. It wasn't on my top ten list last year or whatnot. But for just sheer... You know, engagement. I, I was I was in, and I, I wanted to stay in, and I was sad that they shoved me out. I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw out two ideas. Two ideas here. Zodiac two fan feature, where there's a fan fiction sequel to the Zodiac, where he solves the crime himself, and it's like he it's like a, a pseudo documentary where David Fincher actually solves the Zodiac crimes. What's your What's your second idea, Aaron? <laughs> because we're clearly passing that one over. <laughs> I, I think that idea is amazing, but okay. Of course, Fight Club too, right? Because you know, his his romantic relationship with Marlo Singer after he's got go, gotten, go. gotten through a, a tumultuous Fight. area in his life. Following Fight Club, we have Night Club. <laughs> Where um, oh. Jack in quotation marks starts a nightclub. Yes, oh, I mean, it'd, be like, it'd be like Casablanca, and then Marlo Singer will like just show up at the nightclub. Well, because I guess they're all space monkeys, right? So they'd all be kind of in on it. So they wouldn't really—they'd be able to, to kind of trust each other as a uh, as as uh, as waiters. Um. <laughs> all right, this one goes out to Aaron. So, Aaron, can you name a filmmaker that you have a lot of respect for, a lot of you know, maybe even some admiration, but not a lot of love? Say that again. Sorry. It, okay. Um, I think we all have those filmmakers and those films that you know everybody loves, or you know maybe they have a historical you know, relevance and whatnot. But we just can't bring ourselves to actually you know dig them. And I'm just curious if there's a particular film or filmmaker that you look at that you have a lot of respect for, and you can see its place in history, but you just don't feel the love. Okay, that's an interesting. That's a that's a very good. That's question. a good one, Adam. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a better answer prepared for this question because that's a really good question. Well, hold on, Aaron. While you're thinking about it, Adam, do you have anybody that you're thinking of? Sure do. Um, Hitchcock. Oh. See, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. Not the hugest. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that, but I'm curious. Why is that? Well, you know, I've just, for the most part, I don't 
really respond terribly well to to his stuff. It just I've never I mean out of all of them it's like Vertigo is the one that I respond to the strongest at least from an emotional standpoint. Mm-hmm. But for the most part I mean I've watched them and I mean yeah okay this is shocking okay yeah I wasn't I didn't see that coming yeah but it just at the end of the day it's like I I keep expecting and hoping for more and I just don't seem to get it. So I mean yeah. I totally respect his place in history. Right, right, right. Not taking anything away from what he did and No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. But it's just not he's just if I'm going to pick a film to watch I'm not going to pick Hitchcock film for the most part. What about you, Alan? Oh. Oh, oh, I should have really thought about that while you were talking. Offhand, I'm not a big Wes Anderson fan. Oh, thank you. That's understandable. I, I, I like one of his movies a lot, and that's The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Rushmore, I'm like, okay. I didn't like Life Aquatic at all. I just didn't. Oh, I, I hate Life Aquatic. It's I just awesome. was like, My favorite one. I, I don't know what it is. I just didn't get it. And then. Well, Roger said best. It's it, it, a terminal case of whimsy. It, all of his movies do, and like Royal Tenenbaums, I think it fit for him, and I kind of dug that movie. But I dug the actors in it more so than I dug the story and the direction. I think he brings good actors, which elevates the material. And his, I, I understand how people can like him. I understand that certain film files are just in love with him. Yeah. I am not gonna rush out to a Wes Anderson. Film. I've al- I've always I've always seen Wes Anderson as an acquired taste kind of filmmaker which i think some fall into and i'm well, i'm one of those i really like wes anderson movies but I, I i it's very it's something i can very much understand that people when people don't like his movies in general oh like it blew my mind when martin scorsese said that he uses like out of all the new filmmakers that wes anderson is his favorite i'm like what that's i just didn't i don't know i didn't understand it i know why his movies don't make a lot of money but i because it's, it's not really mainstream and i'm not saying i am because i love french new wave and jim jarmusch and all those other large frontier films i just can't I don't know what it is. I'm just not really into Wes Anderson movies. Okay, I have a, I have two Sorry. answers. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one of them's Terry Gilliam, um, and that said, I really I, Twelve Monkeys is like one of my favorite movies. Like I love Twelve Monkeys a lot, but in in, in general, uh, I've never really warmed to Terry Gilliam movies a lot. Like, Are you telling me you don't like Brothers Grimm? <laughs> Brothers Grimm, <laughs> but I know like uh, what's it? The one with Robert, the, the Fisher King. Um, that's a movie I know a lot of people really love, and I think it's okay. I think um, Fear and Loathing's okay. There's, there's something I don't know because I, I like. Gotta throw, I got to throw Brazil out there, dude. Brazil, Brazil, I yeah, I, I haven't watched it in a very long time. Time Bandits. Time Bandits, I was kind of like, eh. they're just like, what I don't know, because I because I like weird movies a lot, but for some reason those movies don't really get me that much. I don't really take to them. And the other, I kind of talked about this with Adam before. It's kind of the late Kubrick films. I like early Kubrick films a lot more than I like the kind of the later periods of Stanley Kubrick's filmography, besides The Shining, which I guess would fall into that late category. But wait, well, how, what other things did you do after? Well, like, which ones? Oh, Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork Orange, Eyes Wide Shut. That just you didn't kind of, like those? No, not really. No. Okay. Uh, what about Metal. Barry Lyndon? Where does Barry Lyndon fall for you? I've only seen, I haven't seen all of Barry Lyndon. I haven't seen so. Honestly, just play it on a huge screen on Blu ray. Well, because yeah, his, his style, like, in, sometimes it works really well for me, which is apparently apparent because I really like all these older movies a lot, and I love The Shining. Like I can watch that movie always, even though it's so long and fairly depressing, I guess. But for some reason, that movie I can attach myself to that one. But yeah, something I don't know. It's just something about the well, Clockwork Orange. I know it's just because I hate Alex so much, and I don't find anything redeeming about his character. Yeah. I think that's the point, though. I know it's the point, but it just it didn't work for me. <laughs> to, to, so. For Barry Lyndon, that movie is like a living painting. Like a living Renaissance painting, it's beautiful, but it's just kind of long. 
Yeah, well, I hope, it, yeah, that's something I know too, so. Don't you love that? Like, it's beautiful, yeah. but uh, do you like it? No, not really. All right. Well, I, I think we've, that was an extended no everybody session, but I thought that was a really good question. It was questions. a good no everybody session. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel much more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that one. And speaking of knowledgeable, let's move on to our trailer talk. And uh, this week's trailer we're going to talk about, we're just going to talk about one because it's, you know, a bonus episode, not much time. We're going to talk about Prometheus, the um, new Ridley Scott alien sequel i mean prequel i mean no it's none of those things it's a movie that's in the sci-fi world that may have some kind of connection to alien series but not quite anyway it's prometheus and it stars numi rapace of the original girl dragon tattoo series michael fassbender of being awesome fame and, uh, idris elba also in the being awesome school and charlie Theron doing naked push-ups and a bunch of other people um and yeah as i said it's really scott's return to sci-fi so i'm going to start with adam what do you think of the Prometheus trailer? Teaser trailer, I guess. So excited. I just oh, can't wait. I mean, Ridley's back in sci-fi, which has been so long. Because I feel like, I mean, I've liked some of his, his recent work. I think his best stuff, um, which I would have to go with Alien and Blade Runner, those totally were set you know, in sci-fi. The, the world of science fiction. And to see him returning to it, and from the trailer, it looks like he's doing it right. It looks fantastic. I mean, it looks intense. It looks scary. And I mean, not only that, too, but I mean, when it comes to something like Alien, you know, he's proven that he doesn't need all those big fancy effects. He doesn't need all that stuff to make a really, really compelling film. And I I could not be more excited. Uh, just digging it, digging it, digging it, digging it. I, it's not terribly intellectual to me, and it didn't make me sound brilliant, but digging it. I don't want to see another frame. I just want to see the film. <laughs> I don't need another t- trailer. I don't need a teaser. I was, I was, I bought it hook, line, and sinker before I even saw the footage at Comic Con. I just wanted to watch it because I love Ridley. I just love Ridley Scott. I'm not gonna front. I, I actually sat through the good year going, oh, now I want to live in France. That's about it. <laughs> I just like I, I will watch that movie if I just feel like getting away. Um, and I know a lot of people criticize this Robin Hood movie. It's like, oh, it's like Robin Hood is built in the Magna Carta, really, and it's all really, really about a lot of historical stuff. And those people that complain don't understand that that movie was kind of made for me because I don't, I love period pieces, and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I liked Kingdom of Heaven, but I love the director's cut. The director's so cut's an amazing film. That's an amazing movie. So I'm, I, I would have, I'm watching every Ridley Scott film no matter what, but the fact that he's returning to this science fiction realm and the fact that he has an amazing cast yeah i'm yeah i'm there let's do it i'm down let's go yeah i think yeah. the i i am just as excited as, as you guys are and yeah the cast is amazing and ridley scott doing this is just just seeing the images that he's provided in this trailer it's like yeah this is what this would look like but the, the thing that gets me it's like they seem to be like putting so much emphasis on the fact that it's not an alien prequel but the teaser seems to be doing the exact opposite of that where you literally have like you have the exact like same um title enter like how it has the lines that kind of fill in the title just like alien does in its introduction you have you you literally have images that look just like alien like it seems like face hugger stuff's going on there's a space jockey like all these things are like yeah i don't understand like even like when they were talking about it at comic-con for the 20th century fox panel they talked about it being an alien kind of prequel, so I don't know why they're hiding it. Yeah, like they. Well, it's it's on it's set on the the, the planet yeah. the film. At least it looks like it to me. Well, it's they they've got again because okay the film originally started as an alien prequel. That's how everyone knew it, and then right. they said like 
what, Damon Lindelof, who's writing the script, he, he said that it's gone, and Ridley Scott just, like, agreed that it's not an Alien prequel. Like, they said they've gone so far beyond what Alien was that it's just something completely different. But it has, like, some very loose tie to it. I don't know if, like, they're just really trying to keep, like, a really bad secret because everyone seems to know that it is an Alien prequel, even though they're saying it's not. But I don't know what to expect from its ties into that series. And I'm also curious to see what he does with 3D. Honestly, I am. I mean, given that I've... I've enjoyed seeing auteur directors like Scorsese and Spielberg, seeing them work in the 3D space. I'm excited to see what Ridley Scott can do with that kind of technology as well. Particularly with his, his meticulous eye for, for detail, it'll be great to see what he does. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, Prometheus comes out June 8th, 2012. Yeah, I think we're all greatly anticipating that film. So My very, very special guest has just entered the room now, and so that's going to bring us to our Girl with the Dragon Tattoo film review. But first, I'm going to play the trailer. She's one of the best investigators I have. But she's different. Now in what way? In every way. Something wrong with the report? Anything you chose not to disclose. He's clean in my opinion. He's honest. Her credibility isn't dead yet. Mine is. He's had a long-standing sexual relationship with his co-editor of the magazine. Sometimes he pleasures her. Not often enough, in my opinion. No, you're right not to include that. I need your help. You come stay on the island. A way of avoiding all those people you might want to avoid right now. You will be investigating thieves, misers, bullies, the most detestable collection of people that you will ever meet. My family. This is Harriet. Someone in the family murdered Harriet. And for the past 40 years has been trying to drive me insane. All right, Alan, Adam. Yes. I'd like to introduce you and the listeners, I guess, to my mother, Denise. Hi, how are you? Hi, Denise. Good evening. Good evening, Denise. How are you? Good. Fantastic. Pleasure meeting you over the phone. Happy, happy holidays and all that jazz. The same to you. Thank you very much. Happy Chanuka. <laughs> yes. I like it. All right. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get into our review of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And. Um, Yes, with both Adam, Alan, and my mother, we are all going to talk about our give our give our thoughts on what we thought of the movie. But I'll set it up a little bit. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is based off the popular Millennium trilogy series by Steve Larson, which involves Michael Bloomquist, a journalist who's got his own legal issues, but is brought into a a case of solving a mis- a mystery involving a missing girl who's been missing for forty years, and the the um. Uncle? Is he? Is he the uh, uncle? I think that's the uncle, the grandfather. Kind of like her He's the uncle. The great uncle. Uncle. Great uncle. Okay. Uncle. Okay. Well, I thought that it was his brother that has Harriet's character recruits Daniel Craig's character okay. <laughs> to okay, to find the to find the missing girl. Um, Daniel Craig, as Michael Blanquist, uh, does what he can, but eventually he realizes he needs some help, and who help him? He gets aid from a mysterious girl with a dragon tattoo who actually did research on him. And the two eventually team up and try to solve the mystery together. Many other things unfold during the course of this movie. <laughs> but that's basically what you got there. Many things. Uh, yeah, here we go. David Pincher directed film. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, big popular book series, popular film series as well, and now has been remade for American audiences. All of that out of the way. Let's start with 
My mother. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll start with Alan. Alan, what did, Alan, 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 okay, Alan, what did you think of the girl with the dragon tattoo? There are certain movies that I watch and I'm like, oh, I want to marry that movie as a joke. And they're, oh, I want to I want to be friends with that movie. Like, I want to, I'm sorry, Denise. I want to f*** this movie. That's how good it was. Okay, I've heard the word. <laughs> Used on occasion. I'm sorry. That's the last time I'll do it. But I just, I, I loved it. Um, from the beginning frame, the way that Fincher sets up the movie, and that amazing opening credit sequence. Let me just pause you right right a second. Um, are, what what capacity are you familiar with the girl in the dragon tattoo? We should all set that up, I guess, for each other. Oh, okay. I have not seen the Swedish film, nor have I read the book. So this is my first Excursion. adventure with Elizabeth Slander. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I have read the Swedish. I have seen the Swedish film, and I have read Karshal, the first book, but I have all three books. <laughs> I haven't read any of the books, but I've seen all the uh, Swedish films. I'm in same boat as Adam. I've read some of the second book, but yeah, I've, I've seen all three Swedish films. Okay, Alan, continue. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to watch the film because the original Swedish films, or, or read the book, and I was going to sit down and I was like, tonight I'm going to go to Netflix and I'm going to watch those Swedish movies. And then that same day was when they announced that Fincher was directing it, and that's when I decided to that my first experience with these characters is going to be with David Fincher, and I couldn't have been happier. The way this is everything I loved about David Fincher in the '90s. It seems like this seems like the movie that he should have made after Fight Club, or the movie he should have made after Seven. It's in that same realm yeah. where it's dark and it's and it's quickly paced, and every moment in that film is important. Nothing is throwaway, and every almost every other line of dialogue pertains to something else in the film and it seems like they don't waste a moment a second of anything dialogue or screen time it's fantastic i love the wardrobe i love the the direction he decided to take the story i loved i loved rooney mara i just i wanted i wanted to marry that girl and just like oh i'm not into that kind of thing she's kind of crazy but <laughs> she's just she's too much for me i i, I couldn't handle all that woman but I just fell for. I saw her vulnerability through her veneer of toughness, and and I don't even like smoking. That was just another thing. Like I'm allergic to it. It just it would it would kill me. But and then the way that Daniel Craig kind of still played his everyman, but he still wasn't as wasn't as demanding in the relationship as I pictured him to be, or what I expected from. He certainly wasn't James Bond in this role. No. no, he was not. He was kind of a James Bond. <laughs> he was he was a tough guy, but still he got his he got beat up a lot. Well, if you read the book, he's the total character that they portray in the book. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's, I think so. He's the person that they portray in the book. Well, yeah, I remember that they were trying to cast Brad Pitt or all these other big-named actors, but I think that would have been too much star power for this kind of character, and kind of with he kind of brought it down a little bit. But uh, I can just go on, but I adored the film. Denise, what do you think? I thought it was great. I totally agree with everything you said. Absolutely. Validation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam? Well, when they when they called for a wet blanket, I was happy to to jump on. Um, you know, I I really I quite liked the film, but I am not nearly as enthusiastic uh, as as you are, Alan. Uh, That's fine. Like I said, I've I've seen the, uh, the Swedish film, and it's tough because I mean I'd very much like to be able just to see the film on its own merits and be able to just sort of take everything out and totally compartmentalize. But unfortunately, I, I just I'm not the kind of guy who can really do that so well. And I couldn't help but sit there kind of with a checklist and like, okay, this is different, this is the same, this is better, this is not better, whatever. Um, and I have to say, I mean, one thing that surprised me about Fincher's direction, as as good as the film looks, is how restrained he is. I mean, he really, 
you know, this is a guy who's capable of really delving into some dark, dark material. And there's some stuff in the, in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo that's extremely sinister. And there were times when I found that he was pulling back. And there's an infamous, um, there's a rape sequence uh, in the film. Uh, and this the Swedish version was absolutely horrifying, absolutely, absolutely. terrifying. And this this version I didn't think was, was nearly as, as gripping um, thought, or as emotionally affecting. I thought he did maybe that on purpose. I don't know, because I felt the same exact same way. Because I, I was expecting that same um, intenseness that the Swedish film had, and it wasn't there. And I, I actually and I thought, I thought maybe he, would, he did it on purpose. Well, why do you think he would have though? Because I mean, uh, as though it's Fincher, I would have thought he would have totally gone for it. You know, I, I know, I know for a fact that Fincher does have final cut in his films, but I would say that I think there's, even then, I think there's kind of a, it has to do with you know marketing a film like this to American right. audiences. Now it is a strong, hard R-rated movie, and it, I mean it does have a, a horrible rape sequence that we're talking about. But I think there's only so far you can really go while still staying within the realms of we need to make this a movie that's marketable to a mass American audience, let alone get past the MPAA. That's a guess. But in addition to just, you know, I, mean, I felt that he could have taken it further. And in addition to that, I mean, in certain films, I mean, there's some there's some similarities to stuff like Seven, for example, where he, they were also trying to uncover the perpetrator of a series of crimes and, and they got quite graphic and whatnot. And I felt like with, with this with this one, you know, he he would we'd see photographs and we'd see images of these crimes, but they were so quick, and it just it surprised me because I thought he would linger a little more. I felt that um, Rooney Mara, I think she's really good in this movie. Um, I think Daniel Craig is just sort of Daniel Craig. Uh, I don't really think he's bringing anything different to the to his normal persona, which I would have liked something different from him. And I felt the chemistry wasn't quite the same. Well, it should not that it has to be the same. I didn't think it was as uh, as strong as it was with uh, Michael Nyquist and Numi Rapace. I felt there was a lot more reliance on Mikhail from Lisbeth, and I felt that who I knew the character to be, I didn't think that was totally authentic. That's me in a nutshell. Before I go, I just have a quick question for Alan, um, because this is your first exposure to the film complete to the series completely. Uh-huh. Would you say that you followed the plot like all the way through easily? Like, oh yeah, it was fine. Okay. That was a question I, yeah, that I mean, I, I, I figured out Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy all on my own during the film, <laughs> so I could handle this. Yeah, that's fair to say. But yeah, Adam and I had a question that kind of when we were walking out of the theater just because there's just little details about the original that it seems like there were things left out of this version opposed to the first one where it seemed like it may be unclear to new audiences Yeah, certain things that you have to kind of put together, which, I mean... Can we delve into that in the spoiler section? Yeah, we can, or I guess if I can recall some of the Just start prodding me for my... I'll just go into my thoughts. I am right there with Adam. I I think, with that said, I think it's a very good movie. I think it's a really good movie. I think it's a very well-made movie that's very suitable for the audience that's seeking an adult mystery story with, you know, good performances and well-handled direction. The direction is the thing that surprised me most about this movie because... Watching the Swedish version, I've always regarded it as a really good film that seems to be echoing kind of the films of David Fincher, like Seven <laughs> and Zodiac, and now, surprise, surprise, we have the American remake directed by David Fincher. And in thinking that, I was like, all right, well, now I'll get to see that movie again, because it had a story that, it's not the, you know, the greatest crime story ever sold, but it's a very it's a very good story that I, you know, was really respondent to in the Swedish version. So I was thinking, oh, well, Fincher will, you know, bring his very stylish direction to it and you know make it make it his own i think he did a good job at making a movie that looks like what you'd expect a david fincher movie to look like 
which is both a good thing and kind of almost a little bit of a letdown because it was more like, well, yeah, David Fincher made this movie as opposed to, wow, David Fincher made this movie? And that's kind of the reaction I had with The Social Network where it's like, there's a movie about Facebook directed by David Fincher and somehow that movie became amazing. And Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it's very well made. Yes, it has that kind of meticulousness to it and while being kind of moody and dark and has a sense of foreboding in certain scenes and has a sense of neat visual nuances that kind of imply that, yeah, it's a really, it's, there's obviously been some care put into how exact this sequence has been put together, but it still seems like this is kind of the movie I would exactly expected to see from Fincher opposed to a more ambitious David Fincher. Do you kind of know what I'm saying, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> like, like the way I'm seeing it is that you had your expectations met, but you wanted them to exceed them. Yeah, basically, because I think yeah. it's a very, yeah, I think that's a, that's a very astute way to put it, because I think it's a very good movie. I would recommend it easily. My word, your word. Oh, I don't know if I can recommend it. <laughs> no, yeah, I completely recommend this movie. I think it's a very good movie. I gave it four stars in my written review or whatever, but it's just, I I still think the Swedish one slightly out-edges it just because there's, I, it, it's such a hard, because I think that movie has its own flaws as well. I know Adam loves it a lot more, well, maybe slightly more, because I really like that movie a lot, too. But I think there's just there's something in I guess its earnestness of the first one that makes more, it. It definitely has more heart. I mean, you really oh, buy yeah, those two yeah, that's, yeah, it has. It seems and, like and, that was more of a personal project, or that there was more emotion going into the making of that movie as opposed to this movie, which is more David Fincher. A little more of a commercial commercial product, yeah. definitely commercial product. Yeah. And the one thing I want to say too, I mean, I, I I sounded like I was coming down on the film pretty heavily, and the fact is, I mean. Like like Aaron said, I gave I gave it four stars as well. I mean, I really I, I, I quite liked it, and I really want to give credit to um, to the editors uh, for this. Oh yeah. Film. Oh yes, yeah. The editing of was Kirk Baxter and Angus Wall, and look, guys, just give these guys an Oscar nomination. I mean, it's a two and a half an hour. It's a two and a half hour uh, film because I, I was sitting next to Aaron, and Aaron's like, so like, how long's the movie? And he's like, well, it's like like two hours and change. He's like, it's like two hours and forty minutes, dude. I was like, oh dear, you know, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and you know, I gotta it say, it, it, it really moved you well. Yeah, you don't feel it. They cut, they cross cut beautifully because uh, Lisbeth and Mikhail don't actually meet until a ways into the film. Right. And yet it moves so well and it works right in hand in hand with, with Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor's score to really provide a very continuous experience and they deserve a lot of credit. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, it was very nice talking to you. I'm going to bid you adieu. Farewell. Good evening, and maybe we'll get together and be able to talk another time. Have well, a great day, Thank you. Thank Take you, Denise. Have a pleasant Happy evening. holidays. May the force oh, be with you. Ah. Uh, Thanks, Mom. You're welcome. I think anywhere, Adam. Where we're okay. I can talk about the performances a little bit too. I think Rudy Mara is very good in this movie. Agreed. Um, I think Daniel Craig. I, actually, I like Daniel Craig a lot in this movie. Yeah. In the way that he kind of he has to play both like the sexiest journalist there is, met, met matched with. I'm also he, like he literally says, I'm, "I'm I'm kind of out of shape." At one point in the movie, I'm like, "You're not out of shape. You're James Bond." <laughs> at that <laughs> point, I was like, "You're a dick." Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> but he kind of plays it like, especially when he he um kind of forms a relationship with Elizabeth, and he's. He's not the aggressor in that relationship. I'll put it that way. He's 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 the lesser of the two. He he's got the glasses on. He's he's doing his research while Elizabeth is she's the field agent. You know what surprised me too, though, on, uh, on that note is yes, she's definitely the aggressor as far as uh, a relationship with him, but yet 
elsewhere in the film, there's a reliance on him that I didn't think totally fit. Like, she seems to keep looking to him for guidance and looking to him, whereas, again, it's, you know, it's a hard thing. But in the original the original film, I mean, Elizabeth seemed much more, much harder, much stronger, much more independent. I mean, just for Elizabeth to say, I mean, Elizabeth said thank you to people in this movie. And I was like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Elizabeth does not say thank you. And it was just, it was odd to see her with sort of softer edge to her that I didn't think totally fit. As much as I liked Rooney Mara, and I'm right with you, Alan. I mean, I would very much like to take this girl out, you know, and uh, show her a good time. But... Why do you have to say it like that? It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> creepy. Oh, well, hey. I, I mean... wanted to, like, you know, take her out and write her a check. <laughs> <laughs> well... She probably has more money than I would. She wouldn't be impressed, but yeah, what am I going to do? Okay, well, with that said about Rudy Mara, I did appreciate. I like that. Cause I, from what I've been, what I've been told, she's much truer in persona to the book in this version as opposed to Numa Paz's character. And you mean now, in, in the way she looks, you mean? In the way she's into, well, in just her, her over. Well, yeah, her looks, but just her in general. I know, in with Numa Paz, as good as she is in that role, and I still think she's my preferred girl of Dragon Tattoo. She she seems tougher. She seems like she can handle herself, which is true in both cases for both actresses. But I think um, in Rooney Mara's, she's smaller. She's smaller in build. And it, it's not about her being really strong. It's just about her being able to take care of herself, which I think comes through more with the with, with Rooney Mara in this role. Where it's not necessarily her, the strength that you can see in her. It's just more of, you can you can see her being able to handle a situation regardless of the fact that she's she's, she's small. She's a, she's a small person her body's not you know natural yeah she's fragile there you go she's vulnerable she can't be well we all like the movie obviously and uh, i guess we we, let's do a quick uh, rating on it and then we'll go go into you know spoiler territory and really just kind of let loose on (laughs) on some of the other aspects of this movie so um you know each week we try to do a a a scale of determining kind of when you should go and see this movie and you know we have kind of a rating that goes from imax theater dollar theater netflix tv kind of forget about it alan where would you put it on that scale uh, theater yeah adam theater definitely theater yeah theater i would agree with that and i'm sure my mom would agree with that in theater as well i actually saw this movie again with her the other day so i've seen it twice now and what? honestly it's the it's the editing really that makes me so hat pleased with that movie because it just flows by it doesn't i don't it's not a movie i was hesitant on seeing a second time just because i knew the time you know what? wouldn't feel it's so ironic you say that because i mean i've only seen it the one time thus far but i was thinking about some friends of mine that hadn't seen it and i thought you know i would totally I would watch this again, and that's not something I say about a lot of movies as far as theatrical release goes. For sure, yeah. Did anything else pop out the second time you're in? Well, there's some spoilery things I'll want to talk about, um, but um, just in general, um, no, not really. I, <laughs> I was I was trying to focus more on what I thought was missing from David Fincher's direction because as good as the movie, as well made as the movie is, it just it did it did seem like yeah, it, it exactly met my expectations as opposed to doing something more, which is such a high bar to kind of set yourself right. for. Especially for a movie that you, for a story you already know, and for you know a director that's you know, off the top of my head, David Fincher is like one the, one of the directors I would name as my favorite you know filmmakers currently working right now, if not one of my favorite of all time directors, and it's just like, I'll say it, it's just like yeah, I saw this movie and, and overall I would put it into the category of kind of, kind of um, panic room in the game in terms of his filmography of movies of kind of kind of B-movie plots mixed with very visually stylish direction. I would, I, I, would, I would factor it into there as opposed to his more involved or in intricate films like Fight Club and Zodiac and Seven. That's kind of where I stand on it. 
with with Fincher, the thing that kind of pops out for me is like it, almost like it was when Del Toro was attached to The Hobbit for a little while. I mean, I really wanted Peter Jackson to direct that, that those two films, and yeah, he is. But um, at the time, I saw you know Del Toro was like the next best thing, and when I found out that they were remaking Dragon Tattoo, well, I didn't want them to. But then I saw it was Fincher, and I was like, well, wait a minute, I trust Fincher. Like you know, I still don't think it was necessarily it was necessarily necessary. There we go. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, Fincher's a guy. You know, you trust him. Especially with a movie that just seems like the because the Swedish film seems it's so it's almost like even that book series that book series only came out like two thousand six like it's not an old book series like it seems like that series wouldn't even exist without the presence of films like Seven like if that if that movie didn't exist you wouldn't you probably wouldn't have a, a book like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo come on dude nah I'm serious that I, that, I think Seven's that influential of a serial killer movie like beyond before that you had like Silence of the Lambs among other. Other, I mean, the Thomas Harris novels, but I mean, I, I, I think I don't think there'd be a book as similar to something like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo before a movie like Seven came out. I think it's informed by it. Informed by it is one thing. Responsible for it, something else. I'm not saying it's got. Yeah, it, it's it, hard it, to say. It's not saying it's responsible for it, but I think it's certainly. It's influential. It, that actually is that, that is what you said though. That's, you were like, I don't I'm think not, it would okay. exist if it wasn't for. It. Like, eh. I well. <laughs> Republic credits, they're no good around here. <laughs> I think uh, you know what I'm trying to say. All right, so with all that stuff said, let's go on to kind of a more spoilery zone, and we don't have a sound effect for that, so I'm just going to say spoilers. <laughs> nice, that, that almost echoed. Um, yeah. So yeah, now we're in spoiler zone, and we can kind of talk more about anything that we want to. Um, my main thing that I want to talk to about is, Alan, was there any mystery you had about who the actual murderer was in this movie? I kind of thought that from when Jolie Richardson first popped up on the screen, I was like, oh, that might be Harriet. I never thought that Harriet was dead. I don't know, because they kind of never said, they, they kept mentioning they never found the body, and I kind of am used to the school of thought with Law & Order, mm-hmm. SVU, where the bigger name actor is usually the killer. Yeah. And I was like, oh, she's in it for two seconds. Oh, oh you're done. Oh, we're done. We're done. Well, she's not going to come back. Well, maybe it's, <gasps> maybe it's her. So I kind of... <laughs> I knew that Skarsgård was going to have a bigger role. Yeah. I would no like to me the mystery was, eh, like I kind of called it, but I don't really try to during a mystery. I don't like to try to call it. I never do either. I very much. I, like I very much try, like to try to watch out. the movie. Yes. I let it play out because everybody else in the film, there was really no bigger named actors. Exactly. And there were two other big named actors, so I knew something had to do with the two of them. I look at it so, like. I, you, I think you always try, and I say you as the general you, at least yeah. I, for myself, I think we always want to try to outsmart the movie, but we never want to actually succeed. Like, you want to sit there and be like, oh, I know what's going to happen. But then you want the movie to, like, sidestep you and say, aha But sometimes <laughs> if one of the movies does that, it belittles the film. It doesn't make it as... Like, the best kind of mysteries are almost the mysteries where you don't know it's a mystery. Like, That's Fight good. Club, you're watching that movie, but you don't know you're going to see a plot twist at the end. You know what I mean? At like, least, you're watching at least two movies, case. you think it's two guy, two separate entities, and you don't know that they're going to do like, that. I so mean, that like, Seven's an amazing example of this because of how the killer suddenly... Subverts that, everything. Yes, exactly. How yeah. that how that plays out, how it's 
how it's weird because like that I, I like how I'm tiptoeing around spoilers for seven, even though everyone's yeah. seven. <laughs> okay, I mean, it, well it, that's it. it. You you don't see Kevin Spacey coming in that movie. You don't. You, you, no. You're expecting Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman to be like, aha, there he is. Let's have another chase scene or something. You don't expect the killer to walk into the room and tell you, hey, it's me, guys. Like that. That's something that definitely was not like something you were expecting to happen. It's the kind when of he comes in, he's like force. The, you know, you, the most unsettling thing I think about that film, even though obviously this podcast is not devoted to Seven, you find yourself understanding where this serial killer is coming from. And like he's giving his long rant on the evils of society and people's lack of empathy for one another. And you're actually sitting there going, well, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then the film's done and you realize, oh my gosh, I, I, I can't, I feel, I'm totally creeped out by the fact that I actually understood where this totally insane guy was coming from it's and it's oh it's so unsettling getting back to girl with the dragon tattoo uh i'll say this in terms of because i wasn't trying i'm trying to solve the mystery no i don't try to do that but um while watching it i was think i was you know as adam said you can't help but think about the original film and while i was watching it i was like hmm who was the killer in the first movie i don't seem to recall and then stellan skarsgård popped on screen is like oh it's stellan skarsgård like there i just had no <laughs> there was no other like option in my mind of like who else it could have been because like in the first film i mean you i mean I had no idea. I, no, I had no clue. And, and that kind of fact, I mean, that's kind of, it's a Swedish film and it has actors you're unfamiliar with uh-huh. and a story you're unfamiliar with. But even but, even having said that, I mean, even just looking at the characters as characters, you still, I still had no clue. Yeah, I wouldn't have, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen where that's going. See, I didn't see where that was going when I was watching the Swedish, the Swedish film, but with this one being slightly hazy on the plot details, I was still able to easily determine that, yeah, Stellan Skarsgård's probably the, not probably, he's the murderer in this movie. And it's it's the it's the idea of casting this kind of character actor and having every other cast member besides Julie uh-huh. Richardson be, you know, no one that's really of note that really kind of gave that away to me, where, which kind of led me to thinking, yeah, the story's not great. It's a good story. I think it's a very good mystery story, but I don't think it's a great mystery story, which makes which has always made me wonder, like, why is this book series so popular, especially because the, they're kind of diminishing returns with the sequels. I just never understood why everybody lives in the island. Like, can't any of them... They all hate it, that's kind of funny, too. Like, they all, they, they, Move. they all have tons of money, I'd assume, and they, but they all and they all hate each other, yet they all live in mansions within, hey. like, with, oh, hey guys, within listen, the mile home, of each other. Home is where your rump rests, okay? Get on that. <laughs> hey, how'd you guys feel about the fact that they're all talking English, but everything was in whatever the swedish um i was, yeah, I was some stuff wasn't i was honestly i wasn't sure where go leading up to the movie i didn't really read anything about the plot or you know anything regarding like the story and the characters and stuff i was just like okay here it comes but i was thinking huh i wonder if it's still gonna be set in sweden since it's an american remake yeah it's gonna be set in boston or something like that but no it was set in Bye. sweden and the characters just happened to have well no the character i mean pretty much every other country speaks english anyway <laughs> and their own native language so it's like no everyone just speaks english in this movie and has a swedish accent and uh, i mean i was fine enough with that i guess i, it, I went with it but i mean it's 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 still awkward when all yeah. of a sudden they're going along and then they they you know raise a glass and it's all scun it's like wait a minute dude where, where are we where am i it's yeah it's the idea of <laughs> an American no, movie, American movie set in another country, but, but I mean, it's the same they, idea as having you know. They speak. R- Russell Crowe has a you know, a, you know, his accent in Gladiator, and he's playing a Roman dude. I mean, it's the same. Thing. I don't mind the. I never that never bothered me. Like in, even in Valkyrie, they all have British accents. That's fine. That's but, like the, 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 that's, but the thing about Valkyrie and movies like Patriot or um, what's it name? Um, Red, Hunt for Red October and Clear and Present Danger is those movies. They literally start with the characters speaking in that language. They speak in Russian, yeah. or they speak in what's Clear and Present Danger. They speak in is it Spanish. 
yeah, it's like, it's like Spanish terrorists or whatever in that movie. But they speak in those language, and then it like does a, a close zoom up, and then like the subtitles change to English, and it zooms back out, and all the characters speak in English, and it's like, okay, so you're just supposed to accept the fact that they're speaking in American, but even though they're in real life speaking in American, nice. Well, that's Good what it job, is. It's man. not English. It's American. That's what they're speaking. <laughs> they speak with that. With they, they speak. With insert more. insert George Bush joke. We're speaking in American. Speaking in American. They speak. They speak when with the. Do you think it really need to be set in Sweden? Like, did it? Was that location as important to it as it needed to be? Like, put, well, said it like here's in, my response yeah. to that is um, Insomnia, because Insomnia was, was a Swedish film originally, and then they made the remake, which was set in Alaska. And I think that was a perfect way to substitute it. And right? I would have been happy with that if Girl Dragon Tattoo was set in I Alaska. Read I read an interview with Fincher, and he said that he didn't see how the film could not be set in Sweden. I'm not saying, I, I kind of buy your reasoning, Aaron, as far as where they could have easily substituted it. Yeah. But yeah. for some reason, you know, that was where Fincher felt it needed to be made, and uh, okay. I, w- I want to know why. Like, you could have said it in Britain. Like, it just seems like it didn't, re- it, I don't know. Like, did he want to set it there because it was a Swedish book that said it in Sweden? It's irrelevant. Never mind. That's a question. I want to throw out a question yep. to y'all. Um, one of the notable things about this this version is that they change uh, the ending. And um, Harriet Wanger is uh, revealed to have been someone that we've been, you know, watching the entire film and thinking she was someone else. Um, what did you think about the way, I guess this is a little bit more of a question for Aaron, just because I've seen you know, both. You, you've seen both. Um, but what did you think about the way that they revealed that? I was fine. I was fine with it. I would say, I mean, I, it, it was a matter of, I was trying to separate myself from the film and be with this one and also try, but also at the same time, trying to recall details from the original Swedish film. And honestly, I just wasn't, I wasn't recalling things too clearly while watching this film to be like. Hmm, I wonder where this is going, and so I was I was more surprised with that reveal than I was with Stellan Skarsgård being the the villain of the film. Right. So in that regard, I was fine with it. it didn't it, did you think that the it, it stage, didn't? Fe- I didn't feel that it was too obvious. Did you think the staging was a little off? Because like for me, what gets me is you know he walks into the to the to the bank. Yeah. And he walks over there. And he's like, so yada yada yada. We're doing whatever. And then he's like, blah, 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 Harriet. And then it's like, wait a minute. This is like a dun 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 moment. We need to like have some punctuation, have something that really. It was. I thought it was kind of. It was. It was kind of funny just because right before that was him and Lisbeth are having sex in bed together, and Daniel Craig kind of has like a reaction. He's like, you know what? Well, and she tells him to hush up because she's doing her thing. She's like, you know what? (laughs) There's one thing I didn't think about, and then the next day he's like super confident with this fact and just calls her out on it, and like, so yeah, it seemed like there was like kind of a jump there. I I think the next scene redeems it and, and saves it because you know they get to the detail well yeah because you have you have you That's have doctor fine. exposition playing out it, it's fine it's just that i just felt like they really missed a, an opportunity there you know in a film that is otherwise paced you know wonderfully they just missed the chance to really punctuate that moment and be like hey you thought you knew you read the book but ah uh-huh, you do not oh, wait what was the what? difference what was it in the original um my friend has a he has a good way of putting it he says that the, the swedish film has uh more of a John Grisham ending, um, which is a, a fair way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, I would agree with that. In the original film, the the last sequence where she buys the gift is uh-huh. excluded. Yeah, none um, of that exists. Basically, she just goes off to, um, she goes off to totally plunder the the, the bank accounts, and like you, I think you see her. Yeah, and she, yeah, and she you takes see her with like the wig on, and you're like, oh my gosh, and then we, you know, we cut away. Yeah, she takes up. Well, she gets all the money from the guy. From from Ver, from Vernerstrom, or uh-huh. as I like to call him, Vernstrom. 
and, uh, uh, she like kind of sets up shop on like Aruba or whatever island she's on. And don't we see her like stalking someone at the very end? Like she's walking down, like following somebody or something. From what I recall, I think she's just literally like on the beach, like living it up with her money after she's drained all the accounts. Yeah. And she's helped Michael in whatever ways. Huh. But that said, I I thought that this this ending, which I know is faithful to the book, I thought it was very emotionally affecting. I thought it was a good choice, a good way to end it because it just totally. You know, it sets up the fact that, you know, here's this woman, she's been brutalized physically and emotionally so many times, and that yet this is maybe one of the first times that she's really been betrayed by someone that she really liked and trusted. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's why I was leading up to, too. I, I actually like this ending more in terms of how it's, how it plays out at the very end. I, I like, and it, I think it, this kind of ending relates to the very shirt that Elizabeth was wearing earlier in the movie, where the movie's basically telling you, f*** you, you f***ing f***. Like, it's just saying, this is how it's ending. Done. <laughs> no love, doesn't care, throws it away, drives off motorcycle, smash credits. And yet it's the kind of thing where I think if you if you went to Mikhail and said like, so what's you know what's going on? Like I don't think he would have seen anything wrong with anything that he did, just because that's the kind of duty is. But for her, you know, it t- was took so much to open herself up and to mm-hmm. accept the possibility of, of an emotional relationship of any lasting uh, duration. And to suddenly have that so sort of tossed away just because they weren't on in an enclosed space in a high pressure situation, all that was done, and so he kind of just hung her up with you know his files you know, or his casebook. I think that was I thought it was really affecting, and I think you know Mara you know did a great job as far as conveying the, the emotion of the that moment. It kind of made me like just it made me dislike Daniel Craig a little bit more too, just because it's pretty cold. Like literally the scene before, it's like, oh, you look good. I'll see you around. La la la. And <laughs> next thing, he just doesn't care. I feel bad too because she's like, uh, "Are you doing anything later?" First, she tries to sh- share the cigarette with him. Yeah. And he's like, I-, "I quit." And you're like, "Okay, but that's still cold." And then she's like, "Are you doing anything later?" And he's like, "No, I got plans." And then you see Robin Wright Penn in the. In the and you see, he specifically says he has plans of his daughter. That's what he says. Yeah, too. it's true. It's true. But I mean, you just felt bad because I mean, for her, she's just made this guy a part of her life, which is not an easy thing to get into. And yeah, he's just, no, I'm, I'm busy. How did you like the way she was developed in this movie? And I'll set this up by saying in the original film, she there were flashbacks that kind of gave glimpses into what her past was like. And this film omits all of that and goes more for, well, it kind of tells us and it just has us, you know, glean things from her personality and how she's acting currently. I mean, I liked when, towards the end of the film, when she's laying there and she's like, he's like what do you do? Oh, I tried to light my father on fire. I tried to kill my father by setting him on fire. I only got 80%. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's, a, you know, it's it's nice, again, because of having seen the Swedish film first, I, I'm not coming at it fresh as I would, you know, as I would like to normally to be able to say, oh, this is how it works or whatnot. I really like in the original film, I like the flashbacks because they're sort of giving you these pieces without really telling you, you, know, you see match, you see all this stuff, you don't know exactly what's going on. So, I mean, I, I think she's, you know, she's fairly well developed, but at the same time, I think... In the, I, I like those aspects of the original film that really kind of gave you little tips here and there that sort of let you know exactly, you know, how messed up this girl was. I, I liked the way they set her up. I kind of knew the kind of girl she was. I didn't really need all that extra information about it because, to me, it kind of added to the mystery of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, she told me that one little remark, but what else 
happened to her that really made her that way like what happened before she tried to set 80% of her father on fire to me I don't really need to know I kind of added it's like the whole Star Wars prequel thing I didn't need to know all that about Darth Vader yes she he was did. as menacing as he was <laughs> I kind of did yes she, yes, she did yeah. okay I need to know that he had no Jedi game and a no, terrible haircut I, oh he had a terrible terrible haircut no I kind of I dug it I didn't I didn't feel like I needed it but I also didn't expect it or didn't know I didn't I didn't realize that there were flashback sequences to begin with. So to me, it's not like I was like, oh, where are my flashback sequences? Like Now it's like, oh, there were flashback sequences? Fascinating. Probably going to watch the movie tonight. We'll see. I, w- I want to watch the Swedish film soon just so I can start comparing it that way. But for me, I'm just basing it off a feature film. And yes, I-, I was fine. I like the ending a lot. I really dug the way that ended because the way you described the Swedish film makes it seem kind of cheap. It seems like Adam... Whoever, your friend, whoever said John Grisham ending, I think that's very appropriate for how the Swedish film ended. As much as I love the, the Swedish film, I mean, I think if it had, had this ending, it would have been, you know, even better. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, something I like about this film is even spoilery, really, but something I like, well, it kind of is. Something I like about this this story in in both versions is I love how it plays out. I love how it's there's many things going on and like there's many different threads and the way it kind of solves it has almost many films within films here because you have the Michael Blomquist story which begins the film where he's a disgraced journalist now because of this weird libel case gone wrong and you have that story which leads to this other story where he suddenly has to find out the mystery behind this missing girl so it goes to that story and to get to that story you have to involve Lisbeth who has her her own story going on because she has a new guardian who rapes her. And so she gets back at him. So this is like, there's that little mini film and this is all like first act stuff basically, because then they eventually meet up and then they embark on this whole new case that deviates from the missing girl thing. And you have this whole serial killer subplot. It's like, where did this come from? I don't know, but let's solve this. And they solve this plot. And then it gets back to the missing girl thing. And they solve that plot. But then it's like, oh, yeah, we still have Michael Blomquist's journalist problem thing. So we solve that plot. It's like all these plots come together, which I guess that's what makes the story so appealing is because there's so much going on. There's so many things within this narrative. And I guess seeing that on film, which I guess normally would probably be edited down, and it isn't, it plays out entirely. I mean, it's a two-hour hour, two hour and 40-minute movie. And I, I found all that stuff very engaging, like, I, I really like how the, how it has so much involved in the story, and it's not just a simple who done it kind of thing. Yeah. And at the same time, though, I, I will say one thing that that bothered me was that in some cases it was a little bit of uh, too much exposition too soon. Like in the in the Swedish film, you don't know that she's taping the rape. Like you don't know that she's doing that. I mean, you can kind of make guesses, but it's it's sort of not. It's it's suggested or vaguely hinted at, and then when you find out she she did. I mean, you think, oh my god, I mean, this this chick's got balls. And you totally just, your respect for her shoots up that much more that she'd be willing to go through an ordeal. Not that she was expecting that, but she was willing to go through that for the sole purpose of getting that footage that she could nail this guy. Let's, let's ask so, Alan. Alan, did, what, yeah. did you, did you, what did you think was going on when she, did you, did you suspect anything to come of her getting raped in that room? Based on well, how dude, that's... they show the camera. Well, dude, dude they, they, they don't show they, the button. They, they show yeah. the button. They don't necessarily show a camera. So I'm they saying, show, do, no, you do, do that. They, do they take? Do they take? They're supposed to buy the camera before she goes. Uh, to well, I'm, I'm asking Alan because he's coming at this completely fresh. Would you? Did you? Do you think they tip their hand pretty easily and that you knew yeah, that totally. she was? Okay. I totally, yeah, I knew because because I, I did. I would. Th- I would, if I didn't see this the Swedish version, just saw this movie, I'd be like, yeah, obviously she's taping this because I was caught. I was caught off guard when in the Swedish version when exactly. That's what I love about that particular. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah. Okay. 
I knew something because they kind of focused on it. I was like, oh, it's either a mic or it's a camera or something. Or Yeah, and yeah. I think that did a little detriment to kind of setting but, up but that surprise. Way, the way she gets her revenge is, is oh, yeah. so uh, ridiculously sweet. It's not even funny. I have respect for the Foley artist who decided to like, hey, I wonder what the sound would be like to get a leather boot against the metal dildo. Oh, my God. Even the sound before that of her putting that into him. And there's, that scene. there's some extra Jesus. details. He's like, there's stuff coming up of there because she put that in there. <laughs> I want a 7.1 Dolby surround sound on that sequence. Mm, I want a multi-angle sequence. Oh. <laughs> I'll stick with, you know, Piranha Double B edition. Adam will stick with uh, streaming on Netflix in standard definition. <laughs> but I heard that he, uh, what she got tattooed on his chest was different than what was in the Swedish version. Um, oh, it's in my, it's the like, wording might be The wording might be different, it's yeah. The same, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same gist. Absolutely. By the way, it was weird that they casted Santa Claus in that part. Like, that was a dark role for him to take. But <laughs> I was, you know, it made sense since it was the feel-bad movie of Christmas. But I just, you know, I didn't see that coming. Oh, let's talk about the Bond sequence in the opening. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> let's talk about the Tina Turner song that didn't play. <laughs> but yes, no, the opening credit sequence. Oh, my God. It's like, it was like this S&M James Bond riff going on. That was crazy. I did not see that coming. Well, I kind of saw the cover because people kept talking about it, but I did not see that coming in terms of watching it. It was amazing. I yeah. Did you notice at all like the kind of flashes and sequences that were in that opening credit sequence that were the same kind of paintings that uh, Stellan Skarsgård had in his apartment? Yes. Which think which which brings me to another thing I want to talk to about Stellan Skarsgård. But let's yeah, let's keep talking on the credits. But yeah, those yeah, those credits were amazing. It's a, it, I was in love with it because it just reminded me of the old Fincher music videos that he did in the early 90s. So yeah, like, oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, well, uh, I got to say it, man. Unnecessary. I mean, I love I love the song. But I thought I think it, it was too totally different from the rest of the film. I think it, it sticks out. And I don't think that's necessarily good. I love the Immigrant song cover. So good. So good. I, I see exactly. I see exactly what you're saying, and I I agree with you to an extent because I think starting the movie with a cold open involving Christopher Christopher Plummer receiving a painting and like just having some like you know out of context discussion about it with the police detective guy or whatever, it's like this is kind of weird to jump suddenly to this James Bond opening S and M craziness going on, and it'd be so much more effective if like it was a cold open involving Elizabeth, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Right. Like if there was yeah. some kind of context for like if like for for instance like it was you know just her doing something badass like riding up on a motorcycle and you know lighting up a cigarette or something and suddenly it's like mgm presents whatever like all of that stuff like it could have been something that made much more sense to jump into that song but it didn't and i see what you're saying adam it, it does feel like it's out of place with the rest of the movie if given how it starts Regardless of the fact that it's kind of amazing and really cool to watch, it was really cool. I don't care. I was like, eh, I don't care. I love it. Seven I love the song. does something different, or Seven does something fairly similar too, because that has like a you know that's that trippy Nine Inch Nails all out there opening credit sequence after a big cold open involving Morgan Freeman discovering the big fat guy. People forget about that. How it, you know there's a good there's a good like five or seven minutes before the, the movie actually starts to Seven. Fair enough. I just in this case I just felt it was a little. A lot of place. Yeah, and, and with some of that, with that said on my part about it, it's also kind of why it factors to me into that kind of panic room, the game kind of territory where it's kind of recognizing the fact that it is kind of a B-trashy story. It's not like, as I said many times, it's not the greatest mystery out there. And mm-hmm. I don't 
and I don't think the mystery is, you know, what makes the story good or, or this film good. I think it's, you know, the atmosphere and the characters that make it superior well, to it's, it's, it's Lizbeth Salander. Yeah. That's that, like, I mean, that, that's saying, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. The girl with the dragon tattoo. And so that's I mean, why any chance just to follow her around is, is time well spent. I mean, I absolutely love the character. And the one thing I will say is interesting too. I think both, both films and I haven't read the books. I can't speak for it, but in both films, I feel like she is a little bit more of a side character than she needs to be. Like she, she's a little bit more of a supporting character in her own film than I'd like. It's like, no, 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 forget this, this guy, forget this guy. Just, just, just stay with her. Well, I think that works to the film just because of the same way you don't want too much of the Fonz in Happy Days. It's that old thing where you, the less is more approach where you get this really intriguing character, but they don't give you too much of her so you don't get kind of exhausted with her ways. I see what you're saying, but I still think it's, I still think she's underused a little bit. And that's why we have sequels that focus completely on her character. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, with that said, and I'll get, I haven't forgotten about my Stellan Skarsgård thing I want to talk about, but with that said... Do you want it? Are you excited to see Fincher direct sequels to this movie? Were that to still happen? Definitely. Alan, are you I, would you are you looking forward to seeing more adventures of Lisbeth? Um, yes and no. Like I, I love Fincher doing different kinds of stories because that's what I'm used to. Yeah. But it'd be like if he, I want to see his Twenty Leagues Under the Sea or Two Thousand Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the sea. sea. I can't say that right. I would like Once to see that leagues, before I see water. A there's a bowl, and yeah. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm just I'm down for whatever he does because I think he always kind of does something different. But um, yeah, no, if he made a sequel and they announced that they were filming tomorrow, I'd I'd be there opening night. But yeah, um, not super super excited because I'd rather see him do other projects. Other projects, but if he, it's just it's it's a weird thought for me to think of Fincher doing a sequel. Yeah, is as to me, and it does keep me curious just because being familiar with those movies and those stories that are told in the sequels, it makes me curious if, um, Steve's, we haven't said anything about Steve Zalian who wrote the script for this or adapted the script for this film, but he did. And I think he did a pretty commendable job, but, um, I'd be curious to see if they try to stick as closely to those books as they did with this book, because I think many know that those books are not as good as, (laughs) as, uh, this first book. And I'd be curious to see if they kind of go off, if they decide to go off the rails a little bit more and have a little more fun with other po- other possibilities for the Elizabeth character, opposed to sticking with what's presented in the uh, original book series. I haven't, she- I haven't read the books, but I, I I thought the second film was a bit of a letdown. So I'm hoping that with the second, I, I really like the I I love the first the first film. The second film's all right, and I really like the third film. So I'm hoping that whatever they do with the girl who played with fire is a little bit more, uh, a little more peppy, had a little bit more spark. I like the second one more than you do, but I still don't think it's great. And then I think they really dropped the ball on the third one. I don't think that's a very good movie. <laughs> so here's a question to you guys. Um, since I'm going to start watching, I'm going to watch the first one. Should I bother with two and three, or should I just wait to see if Fincher's going to make a sequel? I would say watch him. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, if if you're going from the the completest thing, we'll totally watch him. But at the same time, when you said when you talked about you were going to watch it, and then you found Fincher was doing it, and you wanted to wait for Fincher. So I mean, if you want, if you if, if that is not a factor, and you wanted to watch the sequels, then go for it. But if you'd still mm-hmm. rather have like Fincher take you in, then you know you might want to wait. Maybe you watch the first one, then you wait till you know March. <laughs> they finalize deals and whether or not they're going to make the right. sequels <laughs> and figure it out from there. Well, once the box office tally is done for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and they decide whether or not they're going to, you know, make the sequels, even though Fincher has said that he's been signed on for them, 
We'll see then. Now I'll get into Stellan Skarsgård. But I thought of another thing before that, too, but it's going to lead right into it. Okay, so there's one sequence in this movie that has Daniel Craig searching through Stellan Skarsgård's house at the same time Rooney Mara is searching through the library. And I have to say, that was a very tense sequence. I think that was that was one of those effectively handled sequences that had all the right atmosphere where you kind of, you don't know what's going on. It seems like there might be someone in the library with Lizbeth, but it seems like she's vulnerable and you don't know. But you also have Daniel Craig kind of searching through Stalen Skarsgård's house after he's found out some various details that kind of lead towards his way. And it's one of those scenes where all the music stopped and you're just watching these characters and everything's being communicated visually and you're really tense. And I found that very effective. I was really happy with that because up until then there it's it's not a horror movie this movie isn't a horror movie and it's not a crazy thriller there's sequences that are tough to watch like the rape scene for instance and stuff like that but i don't think it's really a story that's too focused on really putting chills down your spine until it got to that moment where i'm like oh yeah this is happening do you guys agree with what i'm saying yeah um not really i i think it's not necessarily a horror film it's not a really scary movie but i think that it should have been not necessarily a horror film but i think it should have been a lot scarier than it was because again i have the swedish film to go by you know take it or leave it um and certain sequences in that film i mean were terrifying or just so difficult to watch like you know we've mentioned the rape sequence you know or some of the investigation when you're seeing some of the footage or the photographs of what happened to these people you know when you get down into you know the the basement and you see what starts to go on. I mean, some of that stuff is really, really intense. Whereas in this film, I mean, I will agree that it is a fairly intense sequence and it's effective and whatnot. And it's well done. I'm not saying it's not, but I don't think it's as effective as it, as it possibly could have been. Okay. I will say, though, um, creepiest use of an Enya This is where I'm going now. Yeah, okay, now that I've gotten that stuff out of the way, we get to the sequence where Stellan Skarsgård has Daniel Craig captured, and in the midst of, I'm about to do some crazy torture stuff to you and kill you in weird ways with my knife and unbuttoning your pants for some reason, Let me put on I'm going to put on Enya. Killer relaxing music. And the the fact that they use an Enya song was kind of amazing. It reminded it me so completely crazy. of Goodbye Horses and Silence of the Lambs. It was so perfectly used. It was a s- s- studio from American Psycho. <laughs> yes. I desperately want to see the Goodbye Horses mashup with the Enya scene from this movie. That's what I need. It was hilarious, that's for sure. I was like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> and I'm, what? Thinking, and I'm thinking to myself, I like this song. Don't do this to the song, please. I, want to like, I was like, Swedish people are crazy. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And also cool was Elizabeth coming in and smacking Stellan Skarsgård in the face of the golf club and being able to see his teeth come out of his mouth and hearing them hit the ground. It was like, I like these details. No, like the way they did their jo- his jaw right oh, after yeah, that? Oh yeah, the jaw was mangled. Was sick. Yeah. Well, what'd you think about Robin Penn? Wow, she's getting old. She's still... She, she's older, but she's still good looking, I would say. She is. But what'd you think about her accent? I do uh, like the, it. It's very Swedish. Her, her, her accent seemed the most noticeable of hey i'm doing an accent kind of thing right i thought she was good i mean she's yeah. very consistent with what the the i know here it goes again with the what the, the swedish actors did with the part and i thought i thought she was good i liked her um her kind of i liked the way her relationship with michael was was kind of there like especially when she like gets to the cabin and she cut there's a part where like she's about to go to sleep or not go to sleep she's she's go she goes to the other room to start taking up and she's like well i'm here for one more day you coming and it just kind of happens it's like, yeah. I liked her kind of matter-of-factness about 
And I think their relationship is actually handled better in this film than it was in the initial film because it's kind of unclear as to exactly what's going on. Okay. And then this one, she's like, look, like, you know, it's, it's no secret that, you know, his wife left him over it, but her husband either doesn't know or is fine with it or, you know, whatever. Here's a question I have. There's a scene after she, well, after the, after she gets raped, where she gets, um, goes to the tattoo parlor to get a tattoo on her ankle. I was just curious, did that scene mean anything to you guys? Because I, I, I've seen it twice now, and it seems like I was just kind of wondering, is that just like a, a way to, to get the pain out or something? Or is there something specific about her wanting well, to get no, an ankle tattoo? Well, no, that kind of leads into, like... It leads into her, like, how do I get one of these tattoo machines? But it's like, it just, yeah. it just seemed like, it seems like a random scene to happen where it's like, oh, she wanted to get a tattoo. Like, well, she wanted to get a tattoo because it was probably like she needed some sort of... Because she's bruised and it hurts and it's gonna hurt on top. We kind of just—I think we're just adding another layer of she doesn't care about the physical pain anymore. And it might be the kind of thing too, where I mean, I, I mean, maybe I've seen one too many gangster movies, but it's like, well, maybe she has a tattoo for every time she's been hurt in some way or shape or form. That's an interesting way to think. Yeah, that's. Something. I mean, oh. it's possible. I don't know. Well, that's a, that's a neat way to think because that's kind of where I was coming from with it. Well, yeah, she's just she's gone through some kind of event where she just needs to vent her vent her pain through getting something that she's used to, like a tattoo on another tattoo to add to the many that she has. What did you think of the score, Alan? It didn't pop out as much. I think it was a nice compliment to the film where I wasn't humming anything at the end of the film where I wasn't like going, oh, okay, I like that. It's like I thought it worked with the film where it was more just an ambient kind of mood. Agreed, yeah. Well, but it wasn't you... like a John Williams where you're like, oh, right, let's go hum that thing and figure it out. And I think it was just a nice... It, it it fit the rest of the package very well, and I think that Atticus and Trent Reznor and they're really kind of bringing a new spin on the film score to kind of make it more part of the film than separate from the film. Well, by extension, though, were you humming anything coming out of Social Network? A little bit. I was the the, the beginning where like the opening credit sequence where he's like putting together everything for the for the Facebook. Yeah. I can think of it right now. It's like, because I, I wouldn't say that those are necessarily, there's, there's certain, there's not scores that are like, you know, they're not ones you need to like sing along in your head. Like you can't really, they're not those kind of scores, but there's still something about them that makes them memorable, that makes them, you know, you really appreciated what that music had to offer to that film. That doesn't necessarily need to be some kind of stirring theme that reminds you of that character. It doesn't need to be Indiana Jones or Jaws, but right. there's something about the, the score to the social network that's maybe mixed with the fact that it's, you know, it's such a, it's a movie that, you know, that's has source material that doesn't necessarily seem inherently cinematic, but it's made so due to, you know, the fantastic direction screenplay and the fact that there is a score that, you know, serves as awesome connecting tissue for the film, but also is kind of different. It's not a traditional, you know, film score necessarily. It has a, has a neat kind of vibe to it. It's ironic though, because what you were saying, Alan, about the score for this film is kind of how I feel about the score for Social Network. I mean, I, people, afterwards, people were going nuts about the music, how great it was, and I'm like, wait a minute. I can't remember the music at all, which I think in some ways is, is a positive thing because it's, at least for sure in this film, I, I, I haven't seen The Social Network in a while, so I won't speak for it. You know, it's such an inherent part of the film, and in this case, working with the editing so well, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to you know, have that musical reinforcer. It's almost like it's referential sound more than it's uh you know your standard motif and whatnot right. and ironically i link their work ross and resner with johnny greenwood's work right for yeah, yeah yeah 
kind Absolutely. of grouped together as sort of like this this new wave going forward that really is reimagining what the film score can do. And hey, man, I hope that these guys keep it up because I want to see where we're going. Yeah, I think with Social Network, um, they kind of had to have a little bit more noticeable um, film score. Like with certain sequences in that film, I think with this one they just kind of restrained themselves and more slow, made it made it more helpful to the film instead of the other way around. If that makes sense, where well, I think, like, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like with Social Network, they kind of wanted to make certain parts of their score noticeable. With this one, I don't think they really did. I think the only really noticeable music was the immigrant song cover. There's, right in the beginning. Yeah, there's, 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 well, because because ones in the trailer a lot where it just kind of has the yeah a, a memorable kind of notion to it. But there's um there, there the first sexual encounter that Elizabeth and um her gardener new legal guardian person has like oh, yeah. there's a way that it that the score kind of blends with there's a there's a guy buffering the uh, floors in, like on the other side of the room. And there's a way that that the score kind of it blends with that, and you know is still being you know score for the scene at the same time, which that was something that I thought was kind of interesting, and I thought that was not necessarily you know I wasn't humming that or, or thinking about that in my mind after the movie, but I was like, oh, that's a that was a neat way to to yeah. add score to a scene and kind of blend it with what's going on. And there's like some kind of stuff early on with mainly around the Elizabeth scenes actually, where the score you know is interesting. Oh wait, really quick. That scene with the first like sexual encounter they have yeah. was this was this office door open? It almost seemed like it. It didn't seem right? like there was it much. Freak, it was freaking me out. I was like, you're just gonna fucking just do it, and you can obviously hear the guy buffering in the back, and you're just gonna oh you're gonna do it. you're not gonna fucking close the door. All right, Swedes are weird. It, it didn't seem like he was using the most discretion possible to kind of cover the fact that he's forcing a girl to give him a head in his office. Yeah, that's for sure. That weird. one thing that's really weird about about that guy is that in, Santa in the Santa, yes, home, call him Saint Nicholas. In the Swedish film, the Bierman character is just this utterly detestable, horrible guy. And, like, you just, because he's leering loud to the dude and you hate him. And in this film, it's like, he's, he's still, what he does is absolutely reprehensible. But you're watching him and you're like, wait a minute. You're actually, wait a minute. You don't seem as twisted. You seem like you're just, like, you don't understand what you're doing. That, that it's as bad as it is. And like you're really t- sick and twisted, but he was almost in a strange way mildly, mildly sympathetic, which I thought was really bizarre. I, well, I think, it, yeah, I agree with you because I think they kind of they give him that moment where he kind of recognizes that and almost tries to apologize before you know he like he doesn't like yeah when he said I don't like the way he left last time yeah it, that doesn't have that he's pure evil in the other films and from what I understand the book and so I still don't know if I if I was more more happy with that or less happy with that depiction of that character just because there's you know there's one de- one dimensionally evil versus but at the same time layers it's, it's right there with what we were talking about earlier with, with Fincher and that yeah you know, you're, you're watching a, a character that you're empathizing with and you're, it's makes you uncomfortable that you're, you feel that way. Exactly, yeah. I think so, that's more uncomfortable. Yeah. So you're like, oh, look at him being, no, wait, no, f*** that guy. No, 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 no. I don't want to like you at all. What are you doing? Leave me alone. I think that's Fincher more so messing with us than really anything else, maybe. Yeah. That's, yeah. Because another auteur would apologize. Steve's alien as well. He yeah. wrote, wrote the story. <laughs> okay, Al, did you know what the story was going in besides beyond the trailers? Did, were you familiar? No, I had no idea. Now, did you like how it how it you know played out and how there was all these different things going on and how yeah i dug it but 
Yeah, well, I didn't think it was too confusing or anything. I kind of knew I'm not asking in confusing sense. Just more of a because it's not a it's not really a traditional narrative in terms of how it's it not. Happened. I think it seems like it was almost after you find out that Harriet's around. It seemed like everything after that's an epilogue. Yeah, it's a very yeah. After stuff it like dies, it's, pretty, yeah. it's like okay. It okay, felt a little long in some of those bits. I thought you're kind of waiting. Okay, let's go. Get the movie going. Okay. It's almost oh. like, I mean, obviously, The Return of the King is, is an obvious yeah. film we can mention in that regard because of its incredibly long denouement. And it, this certainly wasn't anything to that oh, extent. No. You still yeah, feel like, you know, not... okay, we, we've gotten where we're going. Now let's just get out of here. Like, the story we're mostly invested in ended, but you still have another 15, 20 minutes of film. Yeah. And it wasn't it bad by any stretch, but it's, it's oh, still no, no. a little long at the end. I think maybe... Are we talking about Dragon Tattoo or Return of the King? I'm trying to keep track. Dragon, Dragon Tattoo. Okay. Catch up, Aaron. Sorry. Aaron, we're talking about the movie this episode is based around? Yeah, the movie that you wanted us all to review for you. Um, no, uh, yeah, I was fine with it. I thought it, was, it wasn't that it was a little bit long. I was just kind of, like, you know, all of our time was really invested in the main storyline. And the B-plot had to get tied up. So I thought that was almost a mismanagement of the story's time. But that's you know, because I don't really I didn't really care for the main CEO. We didn't really spend that much time with him other than press conferences. Wernstrom. Yes, thank you, Aaron. But no, I was fine with it. My um, I'm gonna pose one last question because we're going quite long apparently talking about girl dragon tattoo. Yeah. But uh, thank you. Um, but at the end of the movie, we have Elizabeth going on. Basically, she goes on her own personal mission to stop Wernstrom, and you know. Give Michael his credibility back, and you know, well, get get a, get a little bit of cash on the side for herself, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and Stacking that paper. In, in doing in doing that, she you know ditches all her piercings and puts on a wig and gets all cleaned up and gets all these uh, forms of identification and everything, and manages to go on a very elaborate trip, and in doing that, she also forgoes her attitude and becomes a sociable person and you know, in this time of need for, of requirement for her mission. And were you guys comfortable with how she was able to do all these things all of a sudden? No, absolutely not. I thought it was weird. I thought it was seemed out of character and how, how she was able to fake it for that, but she wasn't able to fake it in the meeting with her guardian. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was a little bit, I mean, it's, you don't get the sense that she's a secret agent throughout the film. And at the end of the film, double O, you know, eight or something. It's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Really? This yeah, not the entire you all the way, though. You're totally pass. right. You it doesn't fit in that you know you felt that you you had one set of expectations as to how she could function, and all of a sudden she's like, and I'm like Ethan Hunt. She or, can she can completely turn it off. Apparently, her all of her all of her um, idiosyncrasies that you know make her who she is, and suddenly she's you know completely a person that's capable of you know being well spoken and addressing people correct. As 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 she needs to, and doing having the kind of subtleties but and nuances it, to a character that's able to you know charm her way into the offices and do all she needs to to drain money accounts from people. But by the same well, token, I mean earlier in the film, I mean, like I said before, there are times when she says thank you, and you're like, no, Elizabeth Salander does not say thank you. Because well, maybe a, they were saying that to kind of set up the ending better than what the Swedish film was doing. Well, at the same time, I mean, there's a bit in I'm assuming. the Swedish films, I won't say which one, but where she tells a character, another character, thank you. And the thing about that moment was, it, it's this sort of, at least at least for me, it was this really kind of t- 
touching, heartfelt moment because all of a sudden you have this character who totally is antisocial, totally doesn't care about anybody, you know, beyond herself because she has to try to protect herself and keep herself alive. And then all of a sudden she's actually, you know, expressing gratitude. And I thought that was a really great moment. Whereas in this film, she seemed a little bit softer edged. And I, I didn't, you know, I, again, I, as much as I liked Rudy Mara, I was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? This isn't Elizabeth. What are we doing? Come on. Okay, one one very last question. If Rudy, I guess this will go kind of to Adam. Um, if Rudy Mara gets an Oscar nomination, would you be happy with that? I tend to be kind of picky as far as like which which performances should get nominations. I, I you know a lot of performances that get nominated sometimes. I mean, I can see how they're good and how they could be you know, seen as good performances, but I don't. I, I always I always look for the you know the Daniel Day Lewis's, the Hilary Swanks, you know, in the There Always Was a Million Dollar Babies that really kind of blow you away. Um, she didn't necessarily blow me away. I think it's a really solid performance. Um, I'd be curious to see what her competition might be. I think it no would be. be. Well, I think it'd be a. I it's a weak be, year this year for females. It'd be a supporting performance um, nomination, and I'd be I'd be fine with her getting a nomination. Um, I, like I said, she didn't totally blow me away, which I like to see when in my, you know, my own versions of who should get an Oscar noms. But, but I'd be fine with it. How about you? For this kind of performance, I'd more like I'd be much more pleased to see Elizabeth Olsen and Martha Marcy May Marlene get uh, nominated, opposed to Rudy Barr, just because that they're they're not similar performances in terms of who these characters are, but in terms of who these actresses are and the kind of role they're playing. I guess if there's a if, if someone understands what I'm trying to say, but I for that kind of young character role, doing kind of neat things based on uh, her uh, the personality type i think elizabeth olsen's more uh, a more viable candidate for best actress than rooney mara is well if she gets a nomination i mean i'm, I'm just gonna be like wait a minute where was Numi's? i mean come on it's the same character well because that's different because of how that movie was released and the timing and all that stuff because it, well, it, it was it was made in 2009 but it came out last year like, and we won't it's the same well, reason the same reason why foreign film it wasn't nominated and things that there is that it's it's a trickier issue with those with those movies in regards to their awards contention. Well, I, I think it, it was a uh, it would have counted toward uh, well it it was released in its home country in maybe the year before, but I mean the eligibility it would have satisfied the, the Academy's eligibility rules for for last year. I, I believe. I, I think there's tricky gray area, which made it difficult for. Uh, you know what? I, I'm just a bitter, bitter person who thinks that that, that she was robbed. That's I'll just, I'll just I'll come out and say it. Okay. Um, Alan, any last thoughts on Dragon Tattoo before we wrap up? No, I really liked it. Cool. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Cool. I uh, wouldn't put it quite as high, but I did really like it. I really think it's a solid movie, and I'd recommend it easily. Adam, any last yeah, thoughts? I'd, I'd say the same. I mean, again, really liked it, and 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 considering going to see it again which surprises me because i don't do that with a lot of movies in the theater so i mean you know, definitely if you if you haven't uh, seen any dragon tattoo some is definitely better than none so i, I would go for it all right then i think that's gonna do us i think uh, yeah we're just gonna stop it there because we've been going for quite some time so next week's show whenever whenever next week is compared to when this show actually gets released i think i'm gonna we want to we're gonna try and do our top 10 films of 2011 and incorporate whoever whatever guests we can with that show Abe and I will do that along with you know whoever we, we feel the need that can 
you know, be available to join us for that. Maybe we'll even record something separately just to have some of you guys, whoever isn't involved, that's, you know, a frequent guest on the show to kind of put in their two cents on what they thought were the best ones of the year. And maybe we'll talk about War Horse also. We'll still see. There's, you know, still time for a few movies at the end of the year. So maybe that won't come My up. My friends have been calling it War Horse. I've been hearing some of that as well, but I've also been hearing that the final hour of that movie is amazing, so I'm still excited. And it's a Spielberg I movie. I watch it. I have no time. So anyway, that's going to do it for Out Now with Aaron and Abe this week. <laughs> you can find more of my work at my personal blog site, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com, where you can find Blu-ray reviews, as well as all the me and the Why So Blue Gang's um, top ten lists for the year, actually. They're going to be published this, these over the course of the next few weeks on the site, so you know, feel free to look out for those, because those are a lot of fun to put together. And, uh, yeah, you can, oh, also, you can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Adam? You can find more of my work at Things I Know About the Movies, which is located at www.everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com, at moviesmackdown.com, and at twitter.com slash ilTwinAnarchist. Alan? Yeah, you can find me at twitter.com slash MrDVD, MRDVD. And eventually, that blog that doesn't exist, I'll be writing for. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> uh, music for this episode will be provided by something related to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I'd assume. And um, yeah, you can find all our episodes on iTunes at hhwled.com, where you can find all our episodes there, as well as other great shows such as The Walking Dead TV podcast and Legion of Dudes. It's just a bunch of cool shows that talk about games and comics and movies and other things. You can also find most of the newest episodes and some exclusive extra episodes at outnow.podomatic.com. You can also email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com and compliment Abe on his fantastic editing work, despite the fact that he's been touch and go apparently these past few weeks on the show. And also feel free to compliment our guests and how we managed to somehow stay awake long enough to talk this long about the girl with the dragon tattoo during this hectic holiday schedule time. For and sure. Finally, happy can... Boxing Day. <laughs> happy holidays, guys. Thanks. And uh, finally, you can like our page at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We always update that page frequently with all the newest episodes and other fun updates, such as a fun jib-jab video, which I always managed to include Alan in, apparently, <laughs> even if you didn't notice yet. But, um, yeah. Oh, you bastard. That was me. <laughs> with an Oreo in your mouth. I got a peek at it on my phone. I was like, oh, that looks funny. I, didn't, I was like, that kind of looks uh, busy. I was at work. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Until next week, uh, yeah, we've talked about the, girl, the dragon tattoo. Tons of family fun there. Go see it. Have fun. And until next time, bye, 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 bye. Bye, bye, bye.
we don't have a sound effect for that, so I'm just going to say spoilers. 